course, uh, of course, we know tomorrow is our nation's holiday where we celebrate veterans and we remember and we thank our veterans. Here in the uh, Church on the Trail family, we have many veterans. We have uh, active, active duty reserve. We have uh, war veterans, combat veterans, disabled veterans. If you are a veteran of the armed services, would you do us the favor of standing among us, please, would you, would you rise if you are a veteran who has served? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please remain standing. I, I'm sorry to, uh, I know you're not comfortable with all this adulation, but I ask you to remain standing because I was reminded this weekend of a, of a, of a statement that I've heard that applies to all veterans, and it certainly applies to, to those who currently serve. And the statement was that, uh, that all veterans, no matter what era or what they experienced in their service, all veterans, at one point in their life, gave a blank check to their country. And in the amount line, they wrote, up to and including his or her very life. So our gratitude knows no bounds and our words are not sufficient. But we do thank you. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. And our hearts are always with our, uh, our, our military who are currently serving. Thank you as well. We're, we're, we're so proud of you. We welcome you to Church on the Trail. My name is Richard, one of the uh, pastors here on the leadership team at Church on the Trail. Our lead pastor, Ed Griffinhagen, and his wife Susan are out of town up in Virginia doing a really cool ministry project that they were invited to come and help with a, uh, with a, a video present, a production deal. It, it was really cool, and he'll share more with us about that in the weeks to come, but... Uh, he was able to, Ed's able to tell his story about being raised in the Jewish faith and coming to faith in Christ. Uh, so it's going to be awesome to hear how that went. But uh, again, welcome today. We're glad that you're here. And I have something that I would like to say to those of you who may be here for the first time. Or maybe this is one of your first few times to worship with us here at Church on the Trail. There is a little packet of information we would like to get into your hands. You may have already received this this morning from the, the folks at our connections desk. But if you are brand new or newer to uh, Church on the Trail, we would like to get this into your hands. So I have uh, right up here, this is Lynn Ornstein and his uh, lovely wife, Heather. And they have some of these in their hands, so if you don't mind just raising your hand if you need one of these. These are a welcome packet that tells you a little bit about what Church on the Trail is all about. So uh, raise your hand if you haven't received one of these. We would love to get one of these in your hands. And thank you again for uh, visiting with us. And Inside this packet and also in the seat back right in front of you, uh, you're going to see what we call our connection card. And this connection card is a way to connect because we're really good at naming things here at Church on the Trail. It's a connection card. If you'll fill this out, it gives us information about, your, uh, about yourself and, and it helps us have a record of your visit. And you can place it in the offering bucket at the end of the service or you could take it to 
the connections desk. I'll give you a little hint. If you take your connection card to the connections desk, you get a fabulous prize. That's right. A major award will be given to you. Um, on, Christmas story? Anybody? Major award? All right. Thank you. I just want to make sure you're tracking. But seriously, to our guests who are, are here with us, thank you for coming. And we also want to welcome all our, uh, our friends who are checking in on, online with, through our live feed or watching this message from our website later. Thank you guys for participating at Church on the Trail. We are going to talk today. The topic of our conversation today is going to be all about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus Christ, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, we're, we're aware that there are wildly different beliefs and opinions about Jesus. And one of the beliefs, one of the approaches that, that some people take to the question of who is Jesus, one of those approaches kind of informs the title of our message today. And here's what I mean. There are some folks who, while not ready to really buy in and become a whole hearted, full-fledged follower of Christ. They kind of look at Jesus, the historical figure. They kind of look at some of what they understand or know or think they might have heard about the Bible. And they say, you know what, Jesus, he's pretty cool. He's awesome. I like him. Talked about peace, talked about loving your neighbors. He's really kind of, you know, he's kind of scruffy, got the beard, got the sandals. Uh, you know, look like he walked out of Coachella, probably uses essential oils. You know, this is, I like Jesus, yeah. Jesus is a great guy. Jesus was, was a good example for us. Jesus was a wonderful moral teacher, a spiritual figure, yeah. As the Doobie Brothers would say, Jesus is just all right with me. Anybody? 1970s, that's where I'm from, so... Jesus is just all right. You know what? Jesus is a good person. Here's the problem with that approach. Jesus is not merely a good person. Jesus is not simply a good example for us. Jesus, and so the title of our sermon, our message, our talk today is not a good person. <gasps> You're saying Jesus isn't a good person? Kind of. In context, I probably could have just said not only a good person, but I thought this was more, the shock value was a little better for this. Did it work? Thank you. Makes me feel better. Not a good person. Let's look at a passage of scripture from the book of Colossians. This is in the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul. And in the book of Colossians, we read chapter 1, verse 15 through 19. And it's going to be on the screen as you see. Also in the little uh, handouts you might have received when you came in. Sermon notes kind of handout. And uh, so let's read along. You can, you can read in your Bible, your device, whatever. The Son, Jesus of course, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He, Jesus, is before all things. In Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased 
to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. And through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. With all due respect, that's not talking about just a good person. You get me? This is talking about Jesus who was there at the beginning, through whom all things were created, and who has all supremacy over all things. He's not just a good person. We are actually in the second of a series of talks that we started last Sunday. And often we like to group our, our, message, our Sunday messages into uh, series. And so the series started last week. And we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. A little bit more about that in a minute. And so we thought it would be cool and nifty because if you were... If you were, I've already told, you know, revealed to you guys how really old I am, quoting the Doobie Brothers and all that. But uh, in the 80s, uh, the Rocky movies, the 70s and 80s, the Rocky movies came out, all right? You guys remember? When I hear the word creed, I think of Apollo. You understand what I'm saying? I am all about Apollo Creed. Now in Rocky IV, which was released in the 80s, Apollo Creed... Uh, met his demise in the ring against uh, Ivan Drago, okay? You're looking at me like I'm doing spoilers. Look, the movie was in the 80s. That's on you. Don't... But my kids haven't seen it yet. Well, that's just bad parenting. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm telling... I'm speaking truth. Can you handle it? Um, but anyway, so we thought this is cool. Is this cool? We got... A, you know what? And, and I was thinking... Because Creed... Oh, man, that's just so cool. We thought this was better than Ed and I preaching in boxing shorts. Uh, so you guys should just be grateful. That'll be, that'll be enough of that from you, sir. Um, but anyway, I, I'm trying to think of some way. See, to me, you, we should, like, take, take our picture again. You know, this is a family photo op, right? And if maybe you could memorize the Apostle Creed, we'd let you put the robe on. And I don't know. Anyway, the Apostles' Creed is a, is a writing that was formulated in, uh, in about uh, the year 140 A.D. Just 140 years after Jesus walked the earth. And it was written and it was compiled by the early, what are called the early church fathers, the, the, the great leaders of the church in those first couple of centuries. And it was compiled to bring a, kind of to offer a synopsis of Christian faith and Christian belief. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to read through the Apostles' Creed together. We'll put it up on the screen, and we'll read through it like we did last week. Now, I want to pause and just say a couple of things about the Creed. Because some of us might have grown up in a religious tradition or a denomination or a, a style of worship in a, uh, a, 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 you know, like the Catholic Church or, or one of the other denominations. And maybe you grew up in that faith or in that expression of Christian faith. And sometimes the Apostles' Creed was something that was recited over and over again and it was part of what you had to do. And so uh, Ed and I were excited about doing this series, but we have had a couple of questions. Um, some, some people were actually saying, are we Catholic now? Well, we're not. But... 
here's the thing. And, and it's tricky because there's a word in the creed that says, because it's a listing of all the things we believe, which, by the way, the word creed, it comes from a Latin word, which means I believe. And so we're teaching through in all these talks the different sections of what the Apostles' Creed says that we as Christians believe. And one of those things is that we believe in, and, and this, the line says, the Holy Catholic Church. Just want to say, don't panic when we say that. Because although the font on our PowerPoint for this series is probably not a good decision on our part, but the, the, the font is in all caps. But if it weren't, it would be a little c. Because the word Catholic, by definition, doesn't mean necessarily the Roman Catholic Church. So we just want to clear that up, okay? We believe in the Holy Catholic Church, meaning the Holy... The word Catholic means universal. So we believe in the universal body of Christ. We believe that all people, regardless of where they live, what language they speak, all people who name the name of Christ are part, are our brothers and sisters. So we're a part of the Holy Catholic Church. Do you get that? Everybody good with that? Other people say, okay, so we're going to have to start reciting this every Sunday. The answer is no. Now, this is two Sundays in a row we're doing it. Again, please don't panic. We're not really a recite stuff kind of church. That's just the way we flow and the way we do worship. But I would say that if you came from a, a, that, a particular tradition where this was recited over and over again, you might be having flashbacks to having to memorize and either getting, uh, you know, getting patted on the back or getting looked down on if you couldn't get it memorized correctly, or the implied uh, belief that there was something super, like, like memorizing it and reading it or saying it over and over again was super important to the point where it just became words. You know how that can happen? Where you just do say something over and over again and it sort of starts to lose its meaning? That's unfortunate, but that happens in the human condition. So we just want to say that I, when I was growing up, in my, I was growing, grew up in a Baptist church uh, raised in the Deep South, born in a Baptist hospital. You know what I'm saying? So it was the Baptist was deep in me. And so we didn't do the Apostles' Creed but a couple times a year. But you know what we did all the time? Hymns. We did hymns, Just As I Am, The Old Rugged Cross, I Surrender All. Now, by the time I'm 16 or 17 years old, I, could, I didn't even have to look in the hymnal to read these songs. You feel me? I knew them, man. I was in I could write. I, I knew the rhythm of the songs. But did I know what the... Had, had the meaning of them perhaps been lost because of repetition? And I, so I can relate to that. And you know what's been cool in my adult life? To go back to some of those beautiful hymns and say, wait a second. You know what? I do cling to the old rugged cross. I do. And I do surrender all. So maybe us going through the creed over these next few weeks can be a reminder and a coming back to some of these beautiful truths. And we can, find, uh, we can find some real cool encouragement there. You see, the Bible that, that we believe to be the Word of God has just shy of a million words in it. All right? million. Not, not quite a million. And, and the average Bible, depending on the size of the print and the kind of pages they use or whatever... Average Bible uh, apparently is 1,200 to 1,300 pages long. All right? So when we say, I am a Christian, I believe 
in the Bible. It's sometimes hard to, uh, to communicate that in an effective and concise way. And so when the, when the creed was written in 140 A.D., they took what I like to refer to as the irreducible minimums of what the Scripture teaches us. They took large, the huge, large truth of almost a million words and put it into 24 sentences so that we could say, you know what, this is what I believe. It was just huge truth brought down into a, uh, into a concise form. It's like, fat guy in a little theological coat. No? Tommy boy? I wanted to bring it at least into the 90s. So, all right. These are the jokes, people. I don't know what to tell you. This is, this is, this is all we got. So, here's what I'd like to do. I would like for us uh, to read the creed together. All right? You guys ready? All right, let's, uh, we're going to put it on the screen. And uh, let's just read it out loud. If you're comfortable, it's no, no law. We don't have police here. They're going to say, you're, you're a creed hater. Just, you know, you can read. But if anybody wants to read it out loud, join me. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is what we believe. I love the Apostles' Creed. Important to note what the Apostles' Creed is and what it is not. The Apostles' Creed is not an incantation, like some sort of Harry Potter thing that you can just speak into the darkness and suddenly everything's going to be okay. It is not an incantation, it's a consolidation of our beliefs. As we read just a moment ago, you know, it, you might even... It's interesting to note that when we do God plunge, when people are baptized right over here, and it's going to happen next week, we baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, the creed takes those three statements and expands on them just a little. Last week, Ed talked about God the Father, what we believe about God the Father, the first section of the creed. The middle section, which is the, the heftiest section of the creed, is all about Jesus. And then the final section is about what we believe about the Holy Spirit. But the, the weightier, the... The bulkier section of the creed is about Jesus, which is appropriate. Because in the Christian faith, if we remove Jesus, if we water down what we believe about Jesus Christ, we have nothing. We have nothing. There is no point. We should just pack it up and go home. 
we believe in Jesus Christ. So, it is, we're, we're talking about the creed not being an incantation. It's a consolidation. It's the, it, it, it gives us in a, in a really uh, concise form, it gives us what I like to call the load-bearing walls of the Christian faith. The load-bearing walls. Meaning, if you were in your, looking at the home that you live in now, and you look and you go, I would like to open this up more. I'd like it to be more open. I want it to be airy. So let's, can, we, can we take down this wall? Can we take down that wall? And maybe you can. I don't know. But at some point, more than likely, in your renovation life, after watching too much of Chip and Joanna Gaines, you're going to hear a contractor tell you, sorry, you can't take out that wall. Because it's a load-bearing wall. If you take that out, your house will fall down. We're talking about the load-bearing walls of the Christian faith. And if we remove these things, if we soften our belief on these matters, we're, we're living and worshiping in a house of cards, and it will come down. So today, we're going to take the chunk of the creed, the first introductory statements about what we believe about Jesus, and here... Oh, I'm sorry, there is one more thing I want to tell you. It, uh, it's, the creed is also not punishment, okay? Because in some of our backgrounds, we might have, you know, if we weren't doing good or if we were in trouble at school or, or if we were in trouble with our parents, the creed or maybe other Christian things, you would be told to write it or recite it or memorize it. You know what? God, is, God does not want to punish you. You don't get extra points if you can memorize the creed and say it seven times a day. Woo! I'm closer to God now. It's not a punishment. It's education. When you have to write, like a kid I knew, I will not throw my evil Knievel action figure at my sister. If you have to write that, listen, I I think I was falsely accused, but that's not what we're about here today. But if you have to write that seven, you know, 50 times, that's punishment to try to get you to act right. That's not what the creed is. The creed is all about educating. So today, we're going to look at this one section of the creed that says, it's talking about Jesus. And it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So if you can multitask spiritually and listen and pray at the same time. Pray for the skinny preacher because this is kind of weird. This, this virgin birth thing, this whole, I mean, but, but hey, you know what? God puts us in these situations where we, we can't handle it and we'll just believe that his truth can get done. This stuff is way over my head and it may be way over your head as well, but we're going to talk about it and we're going to come to an understanding of what it is we believe about Jesus. Um, so, Let's talk about Jesus' identity. Jesus' identity. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. His parents, uh, Joseph and Mary, were not Joseph Christ and Mary Christ, and they had a baby, and it's Jesus Christ. That's not how it works. Jesus is his name. Christ is his mission. Jesus, the name, Jesus, we find in, uh, we'll take a look at this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. There's an angel that is talking to Joseph, who is Jesus' earthly father. 
All right, his father figure, his his masculine parental unit. All right, and so Joseph was engaged to a teenage girl named Mary. An angel appears to Mary, we'll talk about that in a minute, and says, hey, Mary, I've chosen you. You're going to bear the, uh, the Messiah, the Son of God. And she said, well, of course, she was freaked out. She didn't know how that was going to happen because she was a virgin. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Well, so Mary says, okay, I'll do whatever you need me to do, or I'm, I'm willing and available for that. But the problem is, is that they were engaged and they were not supposed to have had sexual relations so now Mary is pregnant, and so Joseph, her fiancé, the way they were engaged, but the way that, that culture talked was betrothal. And so in that culture, betrothal also required, if you were going to call off a, a, a betrothment or an engagement, then you would actually have to go through divorce-like proceedings. So he was planning to divorce her, and so the, an angel appears to him. And explains to him, hey man, she did not cheat on you. This is a God thing. I know this is blowing your mind, but God is in charge of this whole deal. And in that conversation that the angels having with Joseph, he says to Joseph, and she will have a son, and, and, and you're going to be, you're going to adopt this child as your own. She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. He, he's, told, he's told, you're the dad. You get to pick the name. This is the way it worked in that, in that culture. Name him Jesus, which was actually not always a, an uncommon name. It, it was like the Old Testament version or the Hebrew version of the name Jesus was Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. It's all, actually, the angel is being redundant. He's saying, name him Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation because he's going to save Everybody. It's kind of a, like a, from the Department of Redundancy Department. And so he said it twice. Basically, Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. And so he is told to name him that because that's what he's going to do. And I love that, that statement because, you know, we all know that this world is broken. This world needs saving. We need saving. The person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born to Mary, raised by Mary and Joseph. He is the Messiah. The Messiah is the chosen one, the shining one, the one foretold forever in Hebrew, in the Hebrew faith that he was going to come and bring freedom and salvation to his people. This is the beauty. And, and Joseph... And Mary knew that the world needed saving. They knew that they needed saving. And here, Jesus is, gonna, is going to be that salvation. The person that saves the world from sin is not just a good person. This is not a good... We're talking about the Messiah foretold for centuries. He's the one. And Joseph and Mary get to be a part of that. It's really cool. I want to read you a quote from a guy with a really weird name. His name is Yaroslav Pelikan. Now, you want to say Pelican, but it's not pronounced that way. This is a, 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 a historian and theologian 
from Yale University. He passed away in the, uh, in the early 2000s. Um, I wrote Borislav incorrectly. It's like actually Yaroslav. Brother Pelican, forgive me. Uh, but just overlook that. Here's what he says, or said. Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him. Can I pause right here? Just one pause. And just want to say that if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus and you're not signing on for the Christian thing, can I just say thank you for coming and thank you for sitting here with us. This is an honor for us to that you... In fact, it's part of the reason why we're here is that we could come, so that you could come and sit with us and investigate the claims of Jesus Christ. That you could... Observe. You can connect with us and maybe observe how uh, people who, you know, who, who want to believe, who want to follow Christ, how we do life. And we're not going to get it right all the time. And, uh, but you're welcome here. And so thank you. It is, it is so cool that you're here. And we hope that, uh, and we certainly uh, are not trying to be used car salesmen, you know, about, hey, you've got to try that. You know, it's just that genuinely, in our hearts, we've experienced something that has made all the difference. And it would be just like if I found a killer app, I'm going to tell people about it. I'm going to say, you've got to see this. This makes, this makes maintaining my car and getting my car fixed so much easier. I found an app this week that just blew my mind. So I'm, it's kind of fresh in my mind. But anyway, or, you know, I'm a, a restaurant, you know, suggester person. Why are you going to go to Macon? The best Mexican restaurant in Georgia is in Macon. So I'm going to tell you about it. Not, 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 not to, to equate those things, I'm just saying there's a parallel that when stuff starts to get healed in my life and some of the craziness and weirdness and drama of my life starts to find peace and hope, I'm more than likely going to tell people about it. And so that's kind of where we're at. But again, thank you for coming. Whether you find yourself on a faith spectrum or not, we're glad that you're here. Let's continue. Back to uh, Professor Pelican. Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. It is from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars. It is by his name that millions curse and it, it is in his name that millions pray. This is Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, our Savior. This is in whom we believe. So we talked about his identity there, and of course this is a very quick overview. But uh, now let's talk about his ancestry. Ancestry. Isn't that all the rage? Ancestry.com. Anybody done the DNA or 23andMe? I want to find out where I'm from. I want to find out if I can keep blaming my bad temper on the Irish or whatever, you know, and then you find out you were never, nobody was ever from Ireland in your family and you're terribly disappointed. Ancestry. Let's talk about Jesus' ancestry. Um, Philippians chapter 2. This is a, this is a writing, again, from the, the Apostle Paul. And he's explaining how it went down when Jesus was born. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and through 5, 
though he, Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, in verse 7, it says he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He was born as a human being. The creed says that we believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, a miraculous, mysterious birth, a mysterious pregnancy, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born and birthed by His mother Mary. Born by Mary, who was a virgin, just to remind us what a mind-blowing thing this is. Has anybody got a headache trying to think about this and figure this out now yet? We should be, we should give Advil at the, at the connections desk, you know, to all here. And you're like bopping into church. Do I need this? And they're like, oh, you will. Conceived by the Holy Spirit fully, fully divine. Born by, of the Virgin Mary. Born Burst by his mom, fully human. See, Philippians 2, this verse we just read, it doesn't say that Jesus stopped being God. We talked about, or Ed talked about the Trinity here. And by the way, if, you know, when we read through the Creed and we go through these messages, you're going to come across stuff and you're going to go, whoa, I don't understand that. And we're like, hey, just come back. We're going to address them all. Um, and and uh, if you have any questions, and any of this doesn't make sense, just ask Ed, you know, when he gets back in town. That's Ed at churchonthetrail.org. So he is going to be so mad at me. So, um, so he did not cease to be, you know, as Ed talked about the Trinity. God, our God is three in one. Whoa, mind-blowing thing. And, uh, and he did not cease to be God when he, when he came to earth. He did not subtract divinity and in the most... Base, and this is sort of almost uh, oversimplifying it, uh, but it was more of an addition uh, of humanity. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a subtraction of his divinity. He is fully God and fully human. And that is what we believe. That's when we say we believe in the virgin birth, we don't think, we're not saying we just believe this is a clever Christmas carol lyric. Round yon virgin, mother and child. What child is it? Listen, this is a critical load-bearing wall of our Christian faith. Our Savior, our Savior had to be fully God, but He had to be fully human as well. And God chose to do this in the most mind-blowing mysterious and miraculous way possible. And in fact, he went so far as to do it in the most foolish looking way as possible. And the scripture teaches us that. That he chose a foolish plan to confound the entire world. And to bring, a, and to bring the Messiah into the world that would change Western culture forever 
and more importantly, would save his people from the sins and would change my heart and change your heart and give hope where we had no hope. To come to people who were, who were tangled up in life and there was no way out other than hoping for good luck and hoping for better breaks. And Jesus enters and God types himself. He's at the, at, the, at the keyboard and he types himself into the story and he inserts his son into humanity. And he doesn't do it as a superhero from another planet. He does it as one of us. And it's critical. It had to happen that way. It had to happen that way. We're gonna, I want to show you a verse in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to skip over that John uh, verse because we're running out of time here. But uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, there's this cool, uh, this cool verse. It's an Old Testament prophecy where the prophet Isaiah is explaining to us. He's trying to give a preview. He's trying to give this prophecy and let, let us know that Jesus is coming. And it says, For unto us a, son is, uh, a child is born... To us, a son is given. And then it just says all this wonderful stuff that Handel uh, wrote the, the symphony about. And uh, now we have the Messiah, right? For unto us, you know. I will spare you. But anyway, so it says, so we, Jesus was born just as you and I were born. Difference being, he preexisted his birth. How about you? Were you? What were you doing a couple years before you were born? Not much. So... A child was born. A child was born into the earth. But a son who existed for all eternity was given in that same moment. He was born of a virgin, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is fully God. He is fully, fully man. Guys, I know this is, uh, this is tough. But it's a must. It's a load-bearing wall. Anybody remember Larry King? The interviewer guy, Suspenders? I don't know if he's still doing interviews and stuff. But he, at, at one time, was the coolest. Everybody wanted to be interviewed by Larry King. Larry King is quoted as, as, as answering a really interesting question. They said, if you could interview anybody in the world, who would it be? And then the, and then the person posing the question kind of backed up and said, you know what, let me rephrase, Larry. Any person throughout all of human history, who would you interview? And Larry King, who, like, uh, like our pastor Ed Griffin Hagen, raised in the Jewish faith, Larry King said, I would interview Jesus, Jesus Christ, and I would ask him one question. I would ask him, were you really born of a virgin? Larry King said, because if he could answer that and, and convince me that he did, everything would make sense. Everything would make sense. This is, listen, it's okay for us to scratch our heads over this. It's okay to wrestle with this weird thing, this mystery, this, this miracle. How can it be? And it's okay to talk about it and, try and, and, talk and pray about it and have conversations and talk to us about it. And I joked about email and Ed, but email us about it or talk to us. It's okay. 
But it must be so, and it must be so for our benefit. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It's not on the screen, but you'll see it in your notes as some uh, verses to read uh, in the table talk. Hebrews chapter 4, verse uh, 15. And it says that Jesus is our spiritual high priest. He is, he is the mediator. He is who we go to for forgiveness of sins, to pray, to build our faith. All flows from Jesus. And it says that He is not a high priest who is unsympathetic. Rather, He is someone who has been through everything, who has been through humanity, who has been tempted and dealt with humanity, just like us. So He is compassionate over what we're going through. This is for our benefit. He is other than us. He is other than anyone who has ever existed. And it's for our benefit. So that we can have a high priest who is, who is sympathetic, who, can, who knows exactly what... Who, been through everything we've been through, but yet without sin. And he has the power to help us get through our lives. This is the beauty and the amazing truth of the fact that Jesus was conceived of the Holy, by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That's the beauty of it. I want to read you a, a quote from a, my, one of the great preachers that ever lived. Uh, back in the 1800s, his name was Charles Spurgeon. And this might help you as we wrestle with some of these very difficult questions. That, apparent, you know, I will never be able to answer fully for you, Ed. No one will ever be able to 100% convince anybody... This. This is a matter of faith that we have to say, I believe that Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Spurgeon says, A God whom we could understand would be no God. If we could grasp Him, He would not be infinite. If we could understand Him, then He would not be divine. So Jesus Christ, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Quick word about, the, about Mary. A quick word about Mary. Of all the Bible heroes in Scripture, in Old Testament and in New Testament, you got to put Mary, you got to put her at the top of the list. She was the greatest of all time. The GOAT, G-O-A-T. That's not an insult. The greatest of all time. Sports fans, you're with me, right? Okay, these non-sports fans, he just called Mary a GOAT. <laughs> Here's why Mary was the greatest of all time, the more blessed than any other woman is because it's not that she was better than anybody. It wasn't that she was sinless. It wasn't that, and we don't believe that she stayed a virgin all her life. Sorry. I, I mean, it's just, she had other children. You know, Jesus had brothers and sisters. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about Mary. She deserves the utmost respect. She, she deserves to be at the top of the list of Bible heroes. She would reject our worship. She would be like every, any other human that would say, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not to be worshipped. I worship alongside of you, our, our, our Savior. Mary is a hero. And in my opinion, the reason she's the hero is because of a couple of things that she said, that, the words that she said that poured out of her heart. The first night that that angel met her and told her what was going to happen. And put yourself in her shoes. You would go, this is your plan? Really? Mary 
said, may it be done to me according to your word. I am the servant of the Lord. I will do whatever the Lord asks me to do. That gives me chills. We need to be more like Mary. Jesus was 30 years old at one of his first public appearances. They were at a wedding and, and Mary knew it. a miracle needed to go down and Jesus wasn't really up for doing it. But Jesus, but Mary came to him and said, look, they're out of wine. I need you to take care of this situation. Do something. Do something. And he said, mother, it's not time yet. And, and really, well, I mean, something like that. But you, you could read it. But, and then she says to the people, that were in charge of the problem that needed to get fixed, she said the same thing to them that she said to the angel. She said, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And I just want to say, I'm running out of time, but I'm going to take a few minutes to say this. This is why I love to, to be inspired by Mary as a person. You know, in Jesus' most critical moment, of this fully divine, fully human existence on the night that he was betrayed as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and he wrestled with what was about to happen in his crucifixion. And he was sweating, he was so distressed that he was sweating drops of blood. And he was pouring his gut out to God and he was saying, is there, to God the Father, and he said, Father, is there any way we could do this? Could this cup pass from me? And then he calmed his spirit and then he said, not my will, but your will be done. It's the critical moment of all human history when Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. He was talking to his heavenly father, but he was, he was talking like his mama because she said the same thing. I don't get it. How in the world? I think... She thought her situation, the fact that she had never been with a man, was a barrier to this thing that God wanted. I'm a virgin, I can't... She thought where her situation was, was the barrier to being a part of God's plan. And instead, it was the actual pathway. And in that moment, when none of it made sense, she said, I am God's servant. I will do whatever He wants me to do. She's the greatest of all time. She deserves our respect. She would reject our worship, but she deserves our respect. Now, let's talk about a couple other things as we talk about what we believe about Jesus. We believe uh, the prophecies, the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. We're going to put one up here on the screen. Uh, Another passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 7, verse 14 says, The Lord Himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And that's the beauty of the Christmas story. I'm all about Christmas. Oh, I am at one with the Yuletide. Got a little bit of a problem. Starting to celebrate the day after Halloween, but I'm, I'm, I'm starting to chill on that. Starting to get less judgmental against you early celebrators. But I love Christmas because... It's about God coming to be with us. God wants to be with us. Jesus did not save us from a distance. He came into our world. He got dirt under his fingernails. Because he had fingernails. He was human. Isn't that mind-blowing? Jesus got in and he breathed our air and he walked our dust and he brought salvation. 
All right, I'm going to tell you a quick weird thing about uh, biblical prophecy. There were 300 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled during his time on the earth. 300. That's a lot of prophecies that he fulfilled to the T. Not sort of, kind of, eh, sort of dance around the edge, but actually to the letter, to the word, perfectly fulfilled the prophecies. 300. That's, that's mind-blowing. That's almost impossible. So I want to tell you how impossible it is. I don't think Ed might have shared this with you before. There's a guy named Peter Stoner. That's really his name. I know it sounds trippy, but he was from the 1900s, and he was a mathematician. wrote a book in the 50s called Science Speaks. He talks about biblical stuff related to science. It's really good stuff. And he says that the odds of Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecies could be explained like this. To fulfill only eight Old Testament prophecies. Because 300, that's just crazy talk. So let's just talk about eight. For Jesus to fulfill to the T, to the letter, eight Old Testament prophecies, it would be like taking silver dollars and uh, putting a, a silver dollar, covering the entire landmass of the state of Texas with silver dollars. Two feet thick. All right? Two feet thick of silver dollars, which is 10 to the 17th power. All right? I usually don't do math in public, but I thought I'd, I'd try to impress you. <laughs> Two feet thick of silver dollars all over the state of Texas. And then you'd fly over the state of Texas with one silver dollar with a marking on it, like you paint it red or something. And at your leisure, wherever you want, somewhere over the state of Texas, you drop that one silver dollar and let it fall. And then you take a person and you blindfold them, give them all the time they need, let them walk and roam the state of Texas, walking on the two feet thick of, of silver dollars. Whenever that person decided, reach down, grab the silver dollar, and it's the red one. That's what the odds of one person fulfilling eight biblical prophecies is. And Jesus said, eight, <laughs> hold my wine that used to be water. 300. That is one reason why I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord and Savior. That's one reason. And that helps me with all, some of the questions that are hard to answer sometimes. And the last, and, and what it does is it, it, that has helped me make a decision, which is the last thing, which is to give Christ supremacy in my life. You know, we read these verses earlier about how, God, how Christ has supremacy over all things. But in my life, He has supremacy. Because I, because I need a Savior. I need a Savior. That's why Jesus is not just a good person, y'all. Good people don't feel, fulfill 300 Old Testament prophecies. Good people don't raise people from the dead. You've got to have something going on other than just being a nice guy. He's not just Mr. Rogers with a beard and sandals. He is God's only son, our savior, and Richard's only hope. Why would he, uh, why would he go through all that? Why would he go through uh, being born as a human, dealing with humanity, 
Why would he do that? I, th- I think he did that because he knows that I'm not a good person. And you're not a good person. According to the Bible, nobody's a good person. For, for us in our day and age to be good is to maybe have the good parts of our lives outweigh the bad parts. But in the Bible terms, it says there's no one good. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, all of us have sinned and fallen woefully short of the glory of God. And we need a Savior. Jesus came to save His people from our, our sins. But the decision I had to make was, do I want somebody to just bail me out of the problems in my life or do I want to give someone first place, lordship, supremacy? Do I want to put Jesus above everything else in my life? That's what supremacy means. Be above everything else. There's a lot of things I love in my life, but he's above them. I love my wife. He's above that. I love my kids. You know, I love lesser things too. I love... You know, I love sports and I love certain vacation spots and things that are important to me. But he's above it all. He's not above it all just so that I can have a a hashtag or a slogan on my social media. He's above it all because not only do I need saving from my sins, my life is broken. And I need a journey. I need a journey over the years of my life that can lead me to a place of hope. I need something in my life that can bring hope to the hopeless, that can bring uh, light into the dark places of my life. I need a fully divine and fully human Savior and Lord who can breathe life into the dead parts of me. That is why I've given Christ supremacy in my life. And so I'm asking you today, would you be interested in doing that this morning would you be interested in asking Jesus to take supreme lordship in your life to forgive you of your sins you know we've all fallen short but Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that the, the, the cost or the wages of sin the cost of, of falling short is death spiritual death and separation from God but the gift of God is eternal life. And there's going to be a, pl- a space and a prayer that we're going to have time that we're about to have that will give us the opportunity today to invite Jesus into our hearts. To invite Jesus into our hearts. To forgive our sins and become our Lord. Now we're going to pray and there's no right or wrong way to pray. I'll invite you to bow your head with me. It's a reverent posture and it may be comfortable for you so if you're comfortable doing that let's bow our heads Lord we thank you for today and we're asking you to meet us in this moment now as we are praying with our heads still bowed in this reverent moment if you would like to take the first step towards God in asking Jesus, inviting Jesus to come into your life, to forgive your sins and become the Lord. If you would like to do that, I would ask you to just repeat this simple prayer after me. Father in heaven, 
I know that I'm broken. I know that I need saving. And I can't save myself. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. And I invite Jesus into my life. Into my heart. Be my Lord. Save me today. As we continue to pray, I want to ask one last question. Perhaps we're here today and we've had a different kind of journey in our lives. Maybe we're, we are people of faith. Maybe we have relationship with God, but maybe for some reason you feel very distant from God. Might even be hard to explain, but you just sense a big gap between you and the Lord. Jesus doesn't want to save you from a distance. He wants to come to you. He wants to come to you. He wants you to come home to Him. Perhaps today, what better day to come home, to come back to the Lord? If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer for you. Father, our hearts can wander sometimes. So we're asking you today, bring us back. This is what we believe. This is who we want to be. Bring us back. Receive us back. I want Jesus supreme in my life. Make it so today. Jesus' name.